Okay, we're going to talk uh, this morning about Purim and the very important message that we could take from Purim, take from the Megillah. And then we're going to speak a little bit, of course, more Lamaisa about uh, what's going on in the world and what's going on in our yeshiva, uh, the tremendous Kiddush Hashem that we made and that we have to still make, uh, Mitzvah Hashem. So, in the Megillah, in Perak Dalad, there's a fascinating uh, set of psukim. Esther was already the queen. She was married to Achashverosh, and she was also, uh, according to some, married at the same time to Mordechai. And Mordechai was sending her a message. She was in the palace, and Mordechai sent her a message that um, that. Haman and Achashverosh together have decreed that Klal Yisrael should be destroyed. And um, the message was given over to Esther. <clears throat> Esther says to the messenger and commanded to Mordechai that all servants of the king um, know that every man and woman who come to the king, to the inner inner chatzar of the king, to the throne room, and they weren't invited, they weren't summoned to come, and the king wasn't expecting them to come, you get killed for doing that. That's a major violation of uh, of proper uh, royal etiquette. You have to be invited to come before them. You know, just waltz in. Even, even Esther, who was his wife, apparently was uh, subject to this law. The only exception is if the king uh, finds favor in your eyes and he extends the golden scepter upon you, so then then you get a pass, then you get a reprieve. But it's uh, but I'm going to uh, go there. I wasn't invited to go before the king now for thirty days, so obviously. <laughs> I'm not his favorite wife right now. He, uh, you know, I don't know if he if he cares about me at, at all at this point. And if I just barge in there and try to beseech on behalf of Claudiusral to save to save the people, then it's very possible and maybe probable that I'm going to get killed myself. So Mordechai was told Esther's response, and listen to the words of of Mordechai. And Mordechai sent to reply, to respond to Esther. Don't imagine, don't even dream to think that you're going to be free, that you're going to escape, you're going to be safe, you're going to find uh, refuge in the um, in the house of the king, in the palace, from all other Jews, you think you're going to be able to escape the the gzera of Achashverosh of Haman to destroy the Jews by by hiding in your cozy palace? Because if you are indeed a double ocean, if you are indeed silent at this moment. If you stay quiet and you think that you're going to just take a pass and you're not going to do anything, you don't want to make waves, it's not the time to do anything. I'm going to just ride it out and see what happens and stand on the sidelines. 
then you should know that there will be salvation. There will be Rebach Vahatzalah. The Jewish people will find a way to survive. They will survive from somewhere else. You won't be the messenger. You won't be the, you won't be Zaycha to go down in history as being the source of, of the salvation of Klai Yisrael. The Atuve Savich Taivedu and you and your father's house will be destroyed, will be, will go down in, in shame forever. And who's to know whether or not it's for this exact reason that you attained your status of royalty? The way the Eben Ezra understands that last line, that most beautiful line is, Maybe the only reason why you became queen, don't think you became queen because you're so beautiful, you have so much chen, uh, the king took a liking to you, uh, you were lucky or you were unlucky, whatever the case may be. No. The reason why you became the queen is perhaps for this very reason. HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranged that you should be in your position at this critical time in history to save the Jewish people, to step up and to, and to come to the rescue of your brothers and your sisters. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu put you here. With those words, which came like a, a thunderbolt, Esther returned word to Mordechai, famous words, okay, she's galvanized, she's motivated, she's energized, go gather all the Jews in Shushan, fast for me, don't eat and don't drink for three days, it was already Pesach coming, they're going to be Mavato Pesach, you're not going to eat matzahs, you're not going to, for three days, everybody has to fast, you have to daven, do tshuva, and then I'm going to go at the end of those three days into the Beis HaMelech, and I'm going to plead, plead the case to the king. There's a beautiful Pachel Yitzchak on this, on these Pesukim, Rav Hutner, all his farm are exquisitely beautiful and, and, and brilliant, but I think many people like uh, his Mamarim on Purim the best, and I think the reason for that is because they're short. Oh, if, yeah, if you know the Pachel Yitzchak, many of his Mamarim throughout, uh, throughout all the Yom Tevim and Shabbos, uh, they're quite long, and, and he writes in a very, a, a very beautiful, poetic way, but it's, it's sometimes not such an easy read. If you're not used to it, it takes a long time, and you have to get through it, and it's a, a binion, so there might be like 25 different, uh, paragraphs, and you have to sort of hold cup the whole way through and string it all together, and it's, uh, you know, it's an avaida to work through the, some of the paths. Some of them are shorter. In Purim, it was what he said over by, the Purim Tish, so I don't think anyone had these zitzvahs to, you know, to sit drunk and to listen to long mamarm. So they're all, many of them are very short, like brilliant little insights, little ha'aris, and it's a thinner volume. Somebody took it off the shelf. I wanted to look at it before the shmooz. Uh, somebody that has good taste in yeshiva was using it already. But, um, so I'm, I'm resorting to my memory, which is never a good thing to remember what the Pachid Yisuk said. But it's something along this line. First of all, he says 
on this Pasuk, when Mardachai says to Esther, Alti don't imagine, don't fadimun yourself to believe for a second that you can escape from the king's royal, from, from the Jewish people's plight. And, uh, you know, you'll be cozy in your little, uh, your little bubble and we're all going to get killed. Don't think that way. That's not, that's not the way it goes because if you, if you, if you're silent, then Claudia Yisrael is going to survive, but you're not. So Rafunder asks, why is Mordechai making such an ugly accusation against Esther? She never said that she doesn't, she wants to hide from the, uh, from the wrath of the, of the king against the Jews, you know, and, and try to like, like sort of slip away from the Jewish people and, and not have to get, uh, killed like everybody else. That's a very, that's a very, uh, you know, major indictment against Esther. If that's true, if, if that was out, actually what she was thinking, that's a, you know, that, that's not a nice accusation. I wouldn't want to be accused of like, okay, you know, you're sitting, uh, you're, you're, you're hiding and letting everybody else get killed. You know, you don't think that way. Don't believe that you could save yourself in the royal palace while everyone else is going to have a zero against them. How could Mardukhai Marduk and Esther were not like, you know, just us? Mardukhai and Esther, you know, even we would be insulted. But Mardukhai and Esther, they, they were like, you know, tzaddikim that the world has never seen before. So Mardukhai is sending to Esther such a, a you know, a, an ugly statement that... Uh, you know, that don't think that you're going to hide. When did she say she was just nervous that, you know, she wasn't called to the king. She's going to get killed. Maybe she felt there's a better plan. Like, she never said that she didn't want to do something. She just, she, that she was looking to slip away from the Jewish people. She just said that it's not a, I don't know what to do. It's not smart. It's not prudent. But why would he say that? So, Rupunir says, that's not what Mordechai meant. Mordechai didn't mean that, you know, don't think that you're going to survive and we're all going to perish. Mordechai meant that there's a Chazal. The Chazal say that that if a person hamispalo um, bad chaveray, if you daven for somebody else, v'hut sarach la'isay davar, hu nanetchila. If you daven, let's say there are two women and both of them uh, cannot have children. Both of them are married for many years and they have not had children. So if one of them davens, if let's say Sarah davens for Rivka, that sh- that Rivka should have a child, and Sarah herself needs to daven for herself to not have a child, but she's davening for Rivka that she should have a child in spite of the fact that she needs the same thing. So so Sarah is going to be answered first, or or she's going to be answered very quickly. Why? Because I have the opportunity to daven for myself, and obviously everybody is very concerned about themselves, but I'm giving that tefillah that I could daven for myself, and obviously I'll daven for myself also. It doesn't mean I can't daven for myself. But if I'm giving up a precious tefillah that I could have used for myself, and I'm being minadibit to Rivka, I'm dedicating it, I'm devoting it to her, so then that has a tremendous impact in Shamayim. When you need something yourself, now you're like, you're, it's so urgent for you to have a baby. But instead of me asking for a baby for myself, I'm asking that somebody else should have a baby. That, that rocks the universe. HaKadosh Baruch was very moved by that. 
So your tefillahs are much more powerful when you're davening for somebody else and you yourself need that very tefillah, but you're giving it up to somebody else. That's a tremendous mylon uh, um, tefillah. That gives your tefillah like like a turbocharge that it couldn't have normally. If I daven for myself, that's human. If I daven, if I need to daven for myself, but I'm davening for you, that's like an amazing tefillah. And as a schus of that, you yourself will be answered. Your tefillahs will be more chashev. So Rav Hutner says that Mardachai was basically telling Esther, listen, Klai Yisrael is in an ace tzara, and we all have to do something. We have to daven. We have to, we have to storm the heavens to change this edict against us. We gotta do something. And don't think when you're davening for us, meaning I know that you care about us, and I know that you're concerned, and I know you're going to daven for us, but you should know in your tefillahs, when, you ha- when you're davening, have in mind that you yourself are going to die. It's not just that we're going to die, but you're safe in the royal palace, you're the queen, you have a carte blanche, you're going to be able to survive this while everybody else dies. No, 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 you're also on the hook. You're also part of the gezer. They're going to get to you also. So when you're davening for Klal Yisrael, I want your tefillahs to be so powerful, and that's only going to happen if you realize that that you, you also need a Yeshua, Esther. You also need a Yeshua. So when you're davening for us and we're davening for you, we have to have in mind that we're all in this Gezerah together. And therefore, don't think that you're safe in the palace. Obviously, Esther wasn't thinking that in terms of a general policy that she thinks she's better than the Jews. She has a VIP status and she's going to escape. But when you're davening, you have to appreciate that you're also in this Gezerah. And now when you're davening for others, even though you need it, you need it yourself, you need to Yeshua yourself, your tefillahs are going to be so much more powerful. It's just a vard on, on that pasuk, not a vard, that's, uh, that's the emes, the kapshat in that pasuk. But the pasuk at the end is, to me, the most moving. When he says to Esther, How do you know that you didn't arrive at your position of power for this very moment? This is our moment. This is the moment that we have to do what we have to do. And if we don't do it, if we fail to rise to the occasion when Hashem gives us that chance, Mardachai says to Esther, you're, you're going to go down in infamy. Your name and your, your father's name, your grandfather, all the way up to Shalom Melech, who Esther descends from, you know, it's going to tarnish your good name, your reputation, your history, your ancestry, because you failed to answer the call at the critical time that you were that you had that opportunity to save Paul Yisrael. Whenever I learn that pasuk, I'm reminded of a of a story that I wrote in. Uh, I wrote up. It's a speech that was given. It's in Great Jewish Speeches on page 46, um, and it's a story about Rav Shimon Schwab. And we always speak about Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab was a, a germ from Germany, and he learned uh, in the Mir and Tells in, in Europe. And then he uh, he escaped the Nazis miraculously. He came to America. He became the Rav in Baltimore. Later on, he would become uh, the Rav in Kaladas Yeshurun in Washington Heights, the leader of the German Jewish uh, 
community there and a very eloquent, powerful, impactful spokesperson for Kal Yisrael. He would speak at many of the Agoda conventions at the CMHS, and he, he spoke a, a beautiful, you know, accented English, but uh, his, his words were always thought out and eloquent, and, you know, his hashkafas were, were uh, of uh, a very major significance on the American shores. So during the war years, during the Holocaust, so when Rav Schwab was the rub of the uh, Sheiris Israel Shul in Baltimore, Maryland, he was asked by one of the leaders of the of the effort to uh, to save Jews from the Holocaust. They were still able to apparently send money there, get Jews out. Uh, he was asked by Avram Kalmanovitz, who was a pre-war rub of Mir. He had eventually uh, established the Mir Yeshiva in Brooklyn. So he asked Rav Schwab to make a speech and make an, an, an appeal to save, to, to, to raise desperately needed funds on behalf of this life-saving uh, movement. So Rav Schwab gives the following speech. This is the most important speech of my life, he began. Now is hardly the time to live our lives as if everything is perfectly normal. We take freedom for granted. Our European brothers and sisters cannot. Therefore, we have to be truly generous and ask more of ourselves than ever before. We cannot pretend to be poor, downtrodden people when so many others are living in horrific poverty and fear. As Rabbi Schwab described the perilous situation facing European Jews, his congregants resolved to do everything possible to help them. They were not wealthy, but they gave whatever they could and more. Many of the women don't, donated their personal jewelry to aid the rescue effort. Then Rav Schwab rose to announce his own contribution. I am just a poor refugee myself, having arrived here not too long ago from Germany. I do not have many resources, but I do have one treasure that I cherish above everything else a safer terror that was entrusted to me after the Nazis closed my shul in Germany. There are only three instances in which one is permitted to sell a safer terror. One of these is when someone's life is in danger. Certainly, the situation that we face today is a matter about Saul's nefashas. Therefore, I am offering this personal treasure for sale as my contribution to the rescue effort. One of the trustees of the shul purchased the Sefer Torah for $1,000, a very large sum in those days. However, instead of keeping the Sefer Torah, he placed it in the Aranachidish to be used by the congregation. This donation helped the congregation raise the very considerable total of $10,000 to rescue Polish Jews. That was the, uh, the most important speech of Rav Schwab's life. That's what he considered his most important speech ever. And, and I think that that's really what Mardukai is telling Esther when he's saying to her, Why are we so fortunate to be in America? Is it a, was it a matter of our birthright? Is this our, is this our country of origin that we, uh, you know, and, and it's a given that we have the freedoms that people in the other parts of the world don't. Is that because, you know, they're unlucky and we're lucky that we're American citizens, we have a passport, 
with the, you know, with a, a seal of the United States of America on it and they don't. Why did Hashem put us here? Did he put us here to eat sushi and pizza and Coca-Cola all day? Is that why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the blessings that we have? The answer is no. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't give us those blessings in order to use them for ourselves. Obviously, we shouldn't not enjoy the bounty that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. We should, and we have to thank Him every day, a hundred times, a million times a day for all of the, all of the, the luxuries that we are, we're fortunate to have. But the real reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed us to be in this Malchus, in this Malchus Shal Chesed, in this Medina Shal Chesed, is because when there are Jews that are suffering, and when Klai Yisrael has a Gezerah of Lahashmed Laragul Abed against them, HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects us to do everything and anything that we can in our positions to help that's why we're here. It's not you don't have to have a you know Ruach Hakodesh to understand this. This is Pasha. This is what the Psukim are telling us. This isn't a Pasuk that's just Nagaya to Esther. This is a Pasuk that's Nagaya to every one of us that are sitting in a royal palace on top of the world with three square meals a day and with heat and with electricity and with uh, with all the amenities with freedom to daven and to learn and to uh, to be able to go to college and to get a job and to do business and to, uh, we're living in the base of Malchus and we're looking out of our window at a world that is currently in a state of crisis that we haven't seen since Rav Schwab made his speech in the 1930s 1940s and and we have to ask ourselves Mardukai's question. Are we thinking for a second that we could escape in our royal palace? Do we think that we're special, that we're privileged, and that we could use our positions of being free and being unaffected or, or un, untargeted, let's say, and use that as a way of uh, saying... Shalom Alaynafshi, I'm good. Thank God, I'm safe here in, uh, in America. I, I have everything I need. And uh, I'll just shut the window, shut the trisim. You know, in Eretz Israel, they have those trisim that come down, those uh, the, the shutters. I'll shut the shutters, make it nice and dark in my room in the palace, and pretend that the world is normal, the world is fine. But these Psukim and Megillus Esther are screaming in our ears, don't ever think that. That you could cut yourself off from Klal Yisrael, from that one organism, which is Klal Yisrael. If there's a gzera against one yid in the world, it's against all of us. And if there's a gzera against thousands and tens of thousands, and maybe hundreds of thousands of yidin in other countries in the world, then we have to do something about it. We have to galvanize ourselves. We have to go lech kinesis kala yehudim. We have to do what Esther did when she realized the truth that es- that Mordechai was was telling her. I can't sit in the royal palace and do nothing. I have to get up and I have to do more. I have to do more and more and more until every yid is safe and taken care of and 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 properly placed in the right home and the right with the right foods and the right nutrition and the and the right security and the right safety, we don't have the opportunity, we don't have the luxury 
of pretending that the world is fine because my world is fine. That's not what a yid could do. Maybe other people could do that in the world because they don't feel affected by a distant cousin in some far-off country. But these aren't distant cousins. These are our brothers and our sisters, mamish. These are people that, you know, have emunah and bitachon that we can only, we can only dream of having. These are people that are living right, probably even before this happened in very dire poverty and now it didn't get better. It got a million times worse. These are people that are trying to flee for their life with bombs raining down on them. It's a very hard thing for us to understand. And we're so, you know, maybe we see too many of these images that we get desensitized from it already. But it's very, it's very hard for us here in America to even imagine what they're going through. But that can't stop us from doing everything that we could do to help them. We can't sleep at night until we do, we can help them. That's what I was saying the other day. Like, you know, during the Holocaust, there were people, there were Yechidim, or Ram Kalmanovitz, or Shimon Schwab, um, Rav Aaron Kotler, uh, um, the list goes on and on, Mike Tress, and uh, the Reichmans in Algiers, and in, uh, in, 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 uh, in South America, and, and many, many, you know, families that really, and people that rose to the occasion and did something great, either sending care packages or going to Washington to lobby senators and congressmen to do everything that they could to bomb the tracks on the way to Auschwitz, so to stop the trains from going there, or to uh, or to get care packages in, or to get the Red Cross to get in there, or to or to whatever they could do to stop the war to save a single life, they did. And after the war was over. And there are people, Yidden and DP camps, tens of thousands, millions maybe, people that were in terrible spiritual states. They went there and they slept with these people and they sent regards and they brought Sidurim and Chumashim and Talisim and Tfilin and they, uh, and they gave them food and they brought them blankets. Whatever they could do, they did. They stepped up to the occasion. They rose to the occasion and, and history records them as being the heroes that were there when Klai Yisrael needed them, along with Esther and Mordechai. And we're in exactly that same predicament today as we speak, as Esther and Mordechai were, and as Rav Schwab was, and now here is our generation. And we had a generation, and my generation, your generation, um, you know, we didn't ha- couldn't have it better. Couldn't have it better. Pizza and ice cream and hamburgers and hot dogs, barbecues and camp and, and yeshiva. Life is, is great. And we never, we had a few hiccups along the road, a few bumps, but for the most part, you know, life was pretty darn good. It was good. Now life is not so good. We're faced with a crisis, a humanitarian crisis that the world has never seen since World War II. There are two million people, at least, that are have left Ukraine to go to neighboring countries. And many of those two million people, a nice percentage, are Jewish. And they're coming, they're trying to get out. That's one part of the problem, that they're stuck in the country, they're besieged in many of the cities now by Russia, or there, there are bombs that are dropped on these on these corridors to get them out, and they can't get out anymore. And they're, they're trying to rent buses, these buses, you know, to put Jews in and to get them out of the country. 
they cost anywhere from $50,000 a bus to maybe $120,000 a bus because these bus drivers are literally meiser nefesh to, to risk their lives to get the bus through all of these war-torn areas. So we have to get buses. We have to hire drivers to the, of the buses. We have to get the Jews on the buses. We have to get their families on the bus. We have to allow them to take what they need and put them on the bottom of the bus, let's say, and then get them out. That's a major, that's a major, major, um, complex issue that, that the leaders in Ukraine, the Jewish leaders are dealing with as we speak, how to do that. And then once they're out, and they have to be bribed because the men from 18 to 60, all Ukrainian men are expected to stay in the country to fight this war, which is very dangerous for Jews because Jews are very persecuted. Even by the Ukrainians, many of them are not exactly Ayyub Yisrael. So they all have to get out, but to get them out, you have to bribe the right officials. That's also who knows how much money, maybe millions of dollars. And then once they're out, and many of them, Baruch Hashem, are already out, but if you see this, the conditions that they're living in, they have no food, they have no money, they have no clothes, they have no diapers, they have no similac, they have no, no, no sidurim, they have no chumashim, they have no talisman film. They left literally B'chayser Kaya with everything missing. Their lives were, were, I mean, this is going on, I'm describing, I'm not describing the Holocaust, I'm describing Yidin today. And history is going to ask us, what were we doing? These few days, hopefully the war will be over by Purim, but let's say it stretches out, or let's say it's over today. What did we do? What are we doing to answer this call? Did we think, are we missing this understanding that the Pachid says that, that the tefillah should really be that we're in this boat also? Are we looking at it? Well, I'll dive in for them, but they're there, and I'm here. No, no, no. I'll... You have to understand that you also need Yeshua. We're all in this together. And I'll tell you something else, not just because we're one entity, but because if if this Russian war machine does conquer Ukraine, it's moving on. It's going to move on to other Eastern European countries. And when it gathers enough steam, if nobody stops them, it's going to plow through Europe and it's going to get to America. And I'm telling you, it sounds ridiculous, but these are how world wars start. It could very easily, if it's already affecting us financially, you just go to the gas pump and you see how it's affecting us. And then, you know, and, and inflation and all these things are going to skyrocket. And, and you know, it's already affecting us in many ways financially, but it's, it could not not so crazily affect us in much more personal ways. So we're davening for ourselves. We're davening for the world because it could be chas v'shalom if it gets out of control. We see a madman with his finger on the trigger of the nuclear arsenals that he has and now he's taken over Ukraine's nuclear uh, power and he's not afraid to bomb nuclear power plants. It just shows you the degree of, of craziness, of madness that this man has. And if he's cornered and he sees the whole world is against him, God knows what he could do. It's a personal crisis also. Don't kid yourself. And I'm not trying to, to make you have nightmares, but it's not, it's not much different than what Mordechai was telling Esther, that you have to understand when you're dominating, you're dominating for yourself as well. If we're quiet at this time, then other people will answer the call. Other people will step to the plate to save Klai Yisrael. But we will go down in infamy. We will never be able 
to look in a mirror and tell ourselves and our families that we did what we were supposed to do. We'll be those hidden in, in, during the world, Second World War that were silent and, and, and didn't do a thing because they felt so secure and comfortable in America. They did not want to rock the boat. They didn't want to lobby Congress. They didn't want to go to the White House. They didn't want to use any of, of their political capital up because, you know, how will that affect me? And so they literally allowed six million Yidin to go al-Kiddush Hashem without even putting up a fight. I'm not saying they could have done anything, but you have to try to do whatever you can. In Baruch Hashem, the good news is that in our yeshiva, we could say that we rolled up our sleeves and we started to do something to save Yidin in Ukraine. Two days ago, Rashiva and myself spoke impassionately about the situation and spoke about the campaign that we were starting uh, to raise these desperately needed funds to get our brothers and sisters safe out of harm's way and to provide for them once they get out of harm's way. And over the period of a little over 24 hours, maybe closer to 30 hours, we were able, all of us together, as Shutfim, to raise 50,000 U.S. dollars. 50,000 U.S. dollars is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. You know, babysitting is $20 an hour today. It's a lot of babysitting time. It's a lot of money. One of the that I started this campaign together with. We had a meeting, an emergency meeting, two days ago, and we, we said we're going to do this. Um, just texted me, you know, last night that, you know, 60000 when we're up to $60,000, it's like $10,000 a person uh, approximately to be saved. That's the, cal- the rough calculation. So we saved at that point six, six yidden. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, six yidden were saved. Six yidden, you know what six yidden is? You know what a single yid is? Six years in that, they're going to be safe. Maybe they'll go to Eretz Yisrael. They'll start mishpachas. You know, in a in hundred years from now, maybe we'll be responsible for 10,000 yidin being around in the world because of what we did in, in 24 hours and 30 hours. That's the good news. Another good news is that, Baruch Hashem, we see the power that we have, and we have to use that power until we don't have the power anymore. We can't rest on our laurels now and say, okay, we made our goal. We had this arbitrary goal of $50,000, and we did that. So we make a kiddush on Shabbos, and we go back to our, our old life. No, that's not what a yid does. A yid says, okay, if we make $50,000 in 24 hours, I think we can make $75,000 by Shabbos. And once we make $75,000 by Shabbos, then who knows what's going to be Matzai Shabbos. Instead of going eating pizza Matzai Shabbos, we can eat pizza and raise another $25,000. It's not a crazy, you know, you probably thought I was crazy when I said we're going to raise $50,000, right? And we did it. So what's to say that we can't do more? Before the Shmoo started, we were at, I think, give you an up to minute. Anyway, um, hold on. Just give you an up to the minute update. Let's see where we're holding right now. Second, sorry. 
Okay. Right now we have $63,387. Okay. We set a goal for ourselves. We, I called charity people and I said we have to raise them $50,000 to, oh, we just made another $157, um, to, uh, to $75,000. Okay. And I want to do it by Shabbos. One, it's not so much money. Six, from $63,000 to $75,000, um, is about, um, what is that, $11,000? $11,000, give or take. Um, yeah, $11,000 is really divided by two because it's all doubled. So that's about $5,500. $5,500 is not a lot of money today. Each of us know Somebody, think about it. I know we had a campaign yesterday. I don't know how many people were part of it. I don't know how many people really, you know, thought enough. Maybe you did what I did and just called your, you know, your mother and your, and your sister and a couple of other people. But maybe we have to really start digging a little deeper now and thinking about maybe there's a, a wealthy guy in your shul and maybe nobody approached him yet about Ukraine. Probably 20 people did, but maybe nobody did. Maybe there is somebody that lives in, you know, in your neighborhood or, or, or you know somebody, you know, a friend of yours, somebody that you know from, uh, from Israel, from camp or whatever that instead of just putting it on your status, you can actually do what I did the whole last night and I was sending individual WhatsApp text messages to my, to all of my friends, to all of the people that I know that I think could help together just, uh, you know, the, the, the poster, the flyer and then a link and maybe a personal message. And by doing so, money will come in. Money will come in. We can make $75,000 in two days, but you have to be a part of it. I can't do it all myself. We have to do this together. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm giving you a schus. This is a tremendous schus that I'm giving you. And I think a lot of you realize, I know that you do, that you could take part in such a thing. You could be proud. You know, in the, on the Agudas website, just to give you an interesting statistic, um, because I'm up all night just doing nothing but thinking about this. And we're tied for first place on the Agudah. The Agudah has teams. That's how charity sites operate, right? You make, you make your own team like we did. And, uh, and then there's many teams. There could be a whole Flatbush, a whole city of Flatbush together, a whole Lakewood, a whole Cleveland, a whole Chicago, okay? And they're all raising a lot of money. The Agudah broke last night $10 million in this campaign. So... We started much later than all they did. They, they started, they had like the thing the whole week to do. We had literally maybe 40 hours when I checked this. We were tied for first place of the total amount of donors that we had. We weren't tied for first place in the amount of money that we had. Flatbush is tied for us with donors. They had about $888,000. We had about 60 some odd thousand dollars, but we had 191 individual unique donors and they had 191 individual unique donors because we're making $18, $100, $200, $1,000. They're making, they're going to their rich Kibirim and that's great, you know, but they only have, they have the same amount as us. We're ahead of Lakewood, the whole Lakewood. They had these big asifas just for this campaign with thousands of people packed into a room. Little Lander College for Men has more individual unique donors than the whole city of Iraq, of Lakewood. We have more than Chicago. We have more than Cleveland. We have more than Baltimore. We have, it's, cra- it's a crazy thing. I don't know if you realize we should mamish 
be on top of the world for what we're doing, but we don't have time yet to rejoice. It's not our time yet to take a victory lap. That's that's Ladiris. But right now we have to say, okay, I did a little bit, but I could do much more. I could do much more. And we have to really do much more. The people that are I want this to get on Tar Anytime ASAP and and I'll call the people at Tar Anytime to put it up right away. And I want all the people that watch on Tar Anytime, and I know that there's a lot. There are hundreds of people that watch every single share that I give on Tar Anytime. And I'm not trying to T4 or to flex. I'm just telling you that's the reality. If every single person that's watching me right now on Tar Anytime goes to the Aguda charity site and finds Rabbi Bamberger and his Talmudim from Base Manager Talmud's team, and I'll give you the exact, um, the exact, uh, URL, um, it's charity.com forward slash Agoda Ukraine forward slash 93159. 93159. That's our page code. If every single person watching this today doesn't waste time, they go right away to give at least $100, then we're by Shabbos, we're at $75,000 easily. They give $18 we're probably by that number, but I want everybody to today to try to raise at least another $100. At least. If you could raise more, harizam mashubuch. But let's really, I'm talking to each and every, don't think I'm talking to the guy next to you. I'm talking to you and to you and to you. We need to do this. And if it means that you have to give up a little time today that you were supposed to study or you're supposed to, you know, do your laundry, or you're supposed to play ball, I'm sorry, but that's what we have to do. That's our little war effort that we have to do, think and do. If, if you can't find it, then borrow the money. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make sure to get this money to us ASAP because the people right now are expecting it. They need it. The eyes of the poor people look towards us to provide for them right now at this moment in time. Shabbos is about to come there. They need, they need food for Shabbos. They need chalas. They need kugel. They need, I was telling, you know, I have a, a friend of uh, my sister who I grew up with. So she's today, she lives in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, in a city there. And she's a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And that she was sent by United Hatzalah to go and give psychotherapy to the people coming out that needed it. You know, imagine you have no life, you have no home, you have no, your family is ripped apart. Who knows what people are going through traumatically. And she was supposed to come there and sit down like a mensch and give them therapy. So there's a picture of her wearing the United Hatzalah, um, you know, orange uh, coat. And she, with her, with her, all of her master's degree in psychology degree, psychiatry degree, whatever it is she has, she's standing over a, uh, like by a table in some really, you know, war-torn or, or soon-to-be war-torn area in Moldova, if I'm pronouncing that right, and, uh, and, and she's peeling potatoes because that's what she could do. There was, this is a week ago. There was a busload, or a th- I think thousands of people that were coming, even that were expected to come in. It was three hours before Shabbos, and there was no food for them, really. So they got tons of potatoes. They got tons of vegetables. And this very, you know, Chashavah, like she was peeling potatoes, and she's talking into the camera saying that this is, she thought she was coming to give psychotherapy. It turns out she was coming to make potato kugel. But she was, I was so moved. I, I, I right away gave a, a nice donation to United Atzalah. This is what, you, and we're going into another Shabbos now. They need, they, the same people needed food last Shabbos, needed this Shabbos, but there's probably maybe, you know, 50,000 more Yidin that need to make Shabbos this week 
in Moldova or whatever it's called. And, and that's, and that's, uh, that is the situation on the ground. Baruch Hashem, you know, we're not there, we're here, but that should haunt us that we're here. I'd rather, in a sense, be peeling potatoes over there and knowing that I'm helping somebody than to sit here and play basketball today. So if we can't peel potatoes for Yidin in, in Ukraine and, and, in, and the, and the, 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 the Plata, the, the people that got away from Ukraine, then we have to do what we could do. And we do it so easy. It's so easy for us. Call your grandmother, ask her for a check. Don't be, ask her for a credit card and say, I'm putting $500 on your credit card and you'll be happy that I did it. Just do it. Don't think about it so much. Don't stand on front. Trust me, I just sent text messages to 50 people that I'm probably burning my bridges with. They're probably not going to be friends with me ever again. But I don't care. It's more important that I have a chance that maybe 10% of those people will not be mad at me and they'll send a donation into Yeshiva's fund. Then, then I have no friends left in the world. That's fine. I could, I could live without that. But I can't live with myself not knowing, knowing that I didn't do all that I could. So if this was Rav Schwab's most important speech of his life, then this is the most important shmooz that I ever gave in my life. And please be receptive to it. Please don't let those yidden down. We need to do as much as we can. Obviously, we're very powerful. If we raise $50,000 together in one day, you know, we could have also not done it. And then we would be, we'd just be giving a regular shmooz, sticking our head in the sand, pretending everything is great, and, and, and we wouldn't be any poorer for it. We wouldn't even know that we had the power to do what we did. If we have the power to raise $50,000, we have the power to raise a lot more. I don't want to scare you what my real goals are, but right now my goal, my temporary goal before Shabbos is to raise $75,000. It's not a lot of money. We have, in this room, we could probably give our mice and we get, we get to that, to that goal of uh, $5,500 a joke. But call people, send texts, put it on your status again and again and again, and keep updating it so that it comes back up to the top. If you have any any means of Instagram, put a video of yourself telling how important it is with a link after that. Whatever you have, I'm being matter all of these forbidden things for you temporarily. We're giving you a temporary pass, including myself, to do anything and everything that you can. Use every tool available. This is way maybe this is. Why Akadosh Baruch Hu really created the internet for this moment and, and Instagram and all the Tumma is in order for this point. Maybe it's going to be, if we use our smartphone for once for the greatest thing that we could use it for, maybe it'll be Mechaper for all the things that we did bad with it. Don't let these Yidin down. Don't let a single Yid down, but there's thousands of Yidin that we don't have. We can't look away. We can't lock the shutters, shutter our windows in our palace. We have to look out to them and keep looking to them because they're looking to us to help them right now, right now. So let's go. Let's, let's right away use the inspiration and do whatever we can to find that money somehow, some way. And on Shabbos and Hashem, we can talk about it and we could, we could feel good about it. But we're not there just yet. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank <laughs> you.